Welcome to this peer voice panel discussion on ulcerative colitis. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Drs. John Marshall and Jennifer Jones. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, this is Dr. John Marshall from McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. I'd like to welcome you to this activity on ulcerative colitis. And joining me in this discussion today is Dr. Jennifer Jones from Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So I think we all know that inflammatory bowel disease is a chronic inflammatory condition, but normal state of affairs in the colonic wall, of course, is one of immune homeostasis, where we have a balance between pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory pathways activated, enough that we can fight infection if needed, but not in excess such that we get tissue damage from an overactive immune system. And of course, in inflammatory bowel disease, we all know there's a failure to downregulate inflammatory pathways that leads to that imbalance tilted towards a pro-inflammatory state with overexpression of pro-inflammatory cytokines such as TNF-alpha, IL-12, and IL-23, and often in a self-perpetuating cycle driving further increases in inflammation. Traditionally, we've come to think of inflammatory bowel disease as a condition driven by the Th1 and Th2 T-cell subsets. But over time and more recently, we've begun to realize that Th17 pathways are probably the major drivers of chronic inflammation and inflammatory bowel disease. It's important to recognize that IL-23 is a major driver of T-cell differentiation towards the Th17 subtype, and that Th17 cells themselves secrete IL-17, IL-21, and IL-22 as pro-inflammatory cytokines. And targeting that Th17 pathway, I think, has become an important concept in managing inflammatory bowel disease. Well, if we think that IL-23 is a promising therapy to target in inflammatory bowel disease, and specifically in ulcerative colitis, then how can we do this? Certainly, we already have access to ustekinumab which blocks the P40 subunit, which is common to both IL-12 and IL-23. And I think most of its efficacy, in fact, does derive from IL-23 antagonism. It does also inhibit IL-12. And it's unclear whether antagonizing IL-12 delivers any concern with respect to safety because ustekinumab is very well tolerated, but it may well be that more specific targeting of IL-23 by antagonizing P19 might deliver more favorable and more potent efficacy. And we have, of course, specific inhibitors of P19 available and in development, which include mirakizumab, rizankizumab, and gaselkumab. So with that background, I'd like to ask Jennifer perhaps to comment on the data supporting the efficacy of ustekinumab for treatment of ulcerative colitis. Thank you, John. As you can see, this slide shows the pivotal results of the unified trial, which was a randomized induction and a 44-week randomized withdrawal maintenance trial in which the efficacy and safety of ustekinumab for moderate to severe ulcerative colitis was assessed. You can see here that statistical significance was met for the primary endpoint of week eight clinical remission, as well as secondary endpoints. It's really important to keep in mind differences in the primary endpoints that are selected for clinical trials and how they are defined particularly given the evolving treatment goals, which include more stringent endpoints, such as endoscopic mucosal improvement and histologic improvement. So for example, a clinical trial whose primary endpoint is defined only on the basis of clinical symptoms versus one that includes a more stringent objective measure of remission, such as mucosal healing or histologic healing. The unified trial used histoendoscopic mucosal improvement as an endpoint for the induction phase, but not the maintenance phase. 
Thank you, Jennifer. I do agree with what you just said. So we can move from data on ustekinumab to data on an IL-23 specific inhibitor. And the first entry to the market for treatment of ulcerative colitis in this class is, of course, mirakizumab. And on this slide are data from the Lucent 1 and 2 clinical trial program. We see the induction data on the left looking at clinical remission, certainly showing a benefit in favor of mirakizumab over placebo. But on the right, we see various outcomes at week 52, which is 12 weeks of induction plus 40 weeks of maintenance. Now, I would point out that this panel looks at traditional endpoints of clinical remission and steroid-free clinical remission, which are certainly important. We see data looking at endoscopic remission, but more importantly, also looking at the endpoint of histologic endoscopic mucosal remission, adding not only endoscopic improvement, but also improvement on the appearance of histology under the microscope. And this has certainly been an evolution over time. We know that achieving histologic improvement in addition to endoscopic improvement does confer a much more favorable prognosis with a lower subsequent risk of relapse. Jennifer, what do we know about the safety of IL-23-specific inhibitors in ulcerative colitis? Thank you, John. As you can see in this slide, data from the induction and maintenance trial suggests that estekinumab appears to be safe. Specifically, and most importantly, no safety signals in relation to the proportion of patients experiencing serious adverse events, serious infections, or even malignancy were observed across treatment and placebo groups. And we tend to see similar results for the anti-IL-23 as a class. And these include other therapies such as mirinkizumab. So this is an extremely safe therapeutic class for which we can give a very simple safety message to our patients. I've had a patient who's a 26-year-old female. She's a PhD student at university, an athlete, a long-distance runner, and she's finding that her disease is really interfering with her ability to train. She had been failing optimized dosing of 5-ASA. So she was looking at various advanced therapies. And really, her priorities were an agent with good efficacy, with the favorable safety profile given her brother's experience with lymphoma, and for that reason, steered away from anti-TNF therapy. And so this is someone I think would be an excellent candidate for the IL-23 antagonist therapy. So Jennifer, what do we know about other IL-23 specific therapies which are under investigation in ulcerative colitis? Yes. So as you can see in this slide, there are other anti-interleukin-23 molecules under investigation, inclusive of rizinkizumab. In this slide, you can see that in the phase three INSPIRE induction study, rizinkizumab was shown to achieve higher rates of clinical remission, which was defined as per the adapted Mayo score. In the phase three command maintenance study, you can see the higher proportions of patients allocated to rizinkizumab treat groups versus control groups achieved clinical remission, as well as endoscopic improvement, histologic endoscopic mucosal improvement, and steroid-free remission. And this slide shows you that in the phase three quasar induction trial for ulcerative colitis, the salcomab's efficacy for induction of remission in moderate to severe UC was evaluated. The primary endpoint of week 12 clinical remission, as well as the key secondary endpoints, met statistical significance. So IL-23 is an important therapeutic target for treatment of inflammatory bowel disease, given the role we know that Th17 T-cells play in driving the chronic inflammation of inflammatory bowel disease. I think we can learn that we now have therapies and agents which can specifically target IL-23 and block this pathway to treat inflammatory bowel disease. And I think we've seen data to suggest that targeting IL-23 delivers significant and favorable efficacy and really a superb safety profile for 
our patients. Yes, and I completely agree. Certainly, I've been very impressed with the data that I've seen with the anti-IL-23 class, and in particular with the effect sizes that we're seeing between treatment and intervention groups, given the stringency of the endpoints that have been applied in both the induction and the maintenance trials. So, John, I think the key takeaways from this data, in my mind, would be that these therapies that work through the IL-23 antagonism are really quite safe and highly efficacious for the treatment of moderate to severely active ulcerative colitis. On this presentation, we are going to be discussing unmet needs in the treatment of ulcerative colitis and how IL-23 antagonists might help to fill those unmet needs. So Jennifer, perhaps you can comment on some of the unmet needs for treatment of ulcerative colitis in the current era. Thank you, John. I think we all know that based on our experience interacting with patients in our clinics, there are numerous unmet needs in the clinical management of persons living with ulcerative colitis. And although some have been addressed, many still persist. And these include improvement in quality of life, minimization of adverse events of therapies, the reduction of intestinal tissue damage, reduction in rates of hospitalization, the need for surgeries like colectomies, as well as malignancy. So to meet these needs, we really need therapies that are shown to achieve relevant treatment targets. And these include targets that are relevant to patients. With the introduction of safer therapeutic options that have been shown to be efficacious, particularly in relation to these relevant treatment targets, existing clinical treatment guidelines for ulcerative colitis will need constant revision and updating as these therapies will be reprioritized and repositioned over time. In relation to patient-focused unmet needs, it's really critical that patient-reported outcomes, which enable the evaluation of the impact of the treatment from the patient perspective beyond stool frequency and rectal bleeding, be defined and validated to provide comparable results across studies. Assessment of PROs that capture the impact of therapies on luminal symptoms, but also on mental health and fatigue and mood may positively influence quality of care in IBD. Thank you, Jennifer. I do agree with what you just said. Our traditional measurement of symptom-based outcomes in ulcerative colitis have really focused on what's in the Mayo score, which is stool frequency and rectal bleeding. And these are important, but I think other symptoms are even of greater importance to our patients. And one of these has been bowel urgency. A lot of our patients with inflammatory bowel disease are young, have active lifestyles. And urgency, that fear of being trapped without access to a toilet is particularly distressing to our patients. Yes, and I completely agree. When I think about my practice, for example, a patient I recently saw, a 35-year-old who had been diagnosed with panulcerative colitis three years ago, was initially responsive to 5-ASA, but has now lost response. She's now experiencing stool frequency, rectal bleeding, urgency, and abdominal pain with a partial Mayo Index score suggestive of moderately active disease. This patient was really quite unwell, and so we were able to start her on interleukin-23 therapy and then reassess clinical and biochemical response to treatment fairly early on within two to three months of starting therapy. So certainly individuals who are bio-naive would be good candidates for this therapy. And the unified trial was helpful to understand whether or not initiation of an anti-IL-1223 agent such as ustekinumab would be relevant or appropriate in this population. Larger treatment effect sizes were observed amongst those who were non-biologic failures versus biologic failures. 
for the primary endpoint as well as for most secondary endpoints. And this tends to mirror other studies that we have seen in which reasonably meaningful clinical effect sizes may be more pronounced in biologic naive or non-biologic failure populations. In the Lucent 1 and Lucent 2 trials in bio-naive individuals, we see statistically significant results with meaningful effect sizes for both week 12 clinical remission, week 12 clinical response, as well as week 52 clinical remission and endoscopic remission. I think it's good to see that bowel urgency has actually found its way into clinical trial programs as a secondary outcome. And as we look at data from the Lucent clinical trial program, we can certainly see that mirkizumab therapy was associated with a reduction in bowel urgency, both in the induction phase of the clinical trial, but also over the long term in the maintenance phase. And I think this is an outcome which is really important to patients. We can also think about patients who might be a candidate for IL-23 therapy who've already been exposed to other classes of biologic therapy. And another patient I've had in my practice is a 29-year-old male with ulcerative colitis who several years ago went through high-dose 5-ASA and corticosteroids and was steroid unresponsive and in fact then transitioned to anti-TNF therapy. And for the last couple of years had been maintained on adalimumab. He's someone who strongly prefers subcutaneous dosing because he did not want to have to, in the long-term, visit an infusion clinic. He has been experiencing a secondary loss of response. His adalimumab dosing has been optimized. He has a good serum level on therapeutic drug monitoring. So this is really a mechanistic failure of anti-TNF therapy with adalimumab. So in him, we are looking for another class of therapy and another mechanism of action. And I think IL-23 antagonists would be a very appropriate treatment choice. So we can look at some data from the ustekinumab clinical trial programs related to patients who've already experienced biologic failure. And both in induction and in maintenance among the biofailure subset, there was retained efficacy similar to that seen in the bio-naive population with significant benefits with respect to clinical remission, but also endoscopic healing. And we could look at outcomes in the Mirakizumab clinical trial program, the Lucent 1 and Lucent 2 trials, again, looking at the subset of patients who had already failed another biologic therapy. And here we see good efficacy rates with 60% of patients in induction experiencing a clinical response. 40% achieving symptomatic remission, and a significant portion of patients also achieving the endoscopic target. And that benefit is maintained over time. We can look a little further within the study population because the Lucent clinical trial program include patients who had failed both biologic agent and tofacitinib as a JAK inhibitor. And again, we saw a benefit over placebo with respect to clinical remission and endoscopic remission. So even in patients who are fairly far down the treatment algorithm, you can see benefit with anti-IL-23 therapy in the form of mirakizumab. It's very important for us to have time-bound treatment goals in mind as well as really defined clinical endpoints that we measure and evaluate on a regular basis to ensure that we improve the quality of lives for our patients. Thanks, Jennifer. I think that's an excellent point. Over recent years, we've learned a lot about what treatment goals are important in managing inflammatory bowel disease, and we've adopted more structured treat-to-target approach. Treating the target really means planning a monitoring strategy. And so when we start advanced therapy, we'd plan to schedule endoscopic reassessment in six to 12 months after starting that therapy. We measure those treatment targets in a specific time scale. And if they're not achieved, we revisit our therapeutic strategy and perhaps revise that strategy, then measure the treatment target again. And of course, when you have a sicker patient, you do those things more frequently and you do them earlier because you really want to get a very early read on their progression. 
then our ultimate goal is to give our patients normal quantity and quality of life free of disability related to their ulcerative colitis. What can we learn from this presentation? Well, certainly, I think all of us would agree that managing inflammatory bowel disease is still a challenge. We have a lot of patients who don't respond to currently available therapies, and there is a unmet need in terms of new mechanisms of action that can offer hope to these patients. One of these mechanisms of action is IL-23-specific antagonism. So seeing that sort of efficacy in a therapeutic class, which has excellent safety, I think does offer new hope to our patients. And this will be a welcome addition to our therapeutic armamentarium. Yes, John, I think the data really provides confidence for use in individuals who have not responded to biologics or jack kinase inhibitors as well. These therapies, particularly mirakizumab, seem to provide rapid relief of symptoms, including bowel urgency, which significantly impairs quality of life for our patients and also allow us to take a major step forward in measuring and addressing unmet clinical and patient-oriented needs in ulcerative colitis. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.